Diamond Answer Man Show, Season 3, Episode 2, Reports, What's the Right Thing to Do? Well, hello, everyone. My name is Jay Christopher Gertz. This is the Diamond Answer Man Show, where our goal is to help each other learn more about the world of diamonds and feel... Confident about those purchases? That's right, they go to memorialize our special moments. Signifying special dates, accomplishments, maybe you're getting married, anniversaries, birthdays, all those wonderful occasions we'd like to sort of put that little exclamation point on, in our memories at least. If you need to reach me, you may reach me at J. Christopher Gertz. Well, not my whole name, but J. Christopher at DiamondAnswerMan.com. Or D-A-M-J-C-G-U-R-I-T-Z at Twitter. You may also reach me at J. Christopher Gertz on Google Plus, SpeakPipe, on my website, or even call me directly, 803-792-1326. Well, this show is a show that's going to be dedicated to this current conversation, and I really want to say it's current. It's been going on a very very long time. Even last year, I tweeted about the issue of competitive labs producing reports that weren't ethical. And I I brought that up. You know, we talked about the GIA labs versus other labs. And some of those labs do have varying, I should say, uh, scientific philosophies and standards on how they apply specific grades. However, there are laboratories out there, and I mentioned some of them, I guess it was almost a year ago, that are specifically, I should say directly, they are completely unethical. And there, about six months ago, there's a company in um, the southern part of the U.S. that is being sued by another retailer. So these, these are two jewelers that are battling it out. And uh, there's a couple of articles on my website about that. But they're battling it out because one is is losing sales to what would be a, a strong competitor in the market. But the, the issue would be is that this competitor is using these reports, which are, by this jeweler standards, deemed unethical. And we're going to talk about what that means and talk about what the right thing to do um, in the trade, the right thing to do as a, 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 a diamond polisher and wholesaler, um, what's the right thing to do for a jeweler, and, and very importantly, what's the right thing to do for you? And I think we should talk about some of the reasons why this happens and the psychology behind it. And we talked about this on the appraisals. Uh, what happens with appraisals, and I'm not going to get too far, but when jewelers inflate the values of appraisals and give the impression they're selling it wholesale. They really create a a fan out of you because you think this one jeweler in this one area or one town or even one city block is the best place to go because everybody else is trying to take advantage of you. When in reality, it's the opposite. And I've seen this happen time and time and time again. Now, most of the time what happens in these situations to where you have these values of stone sold and then the changing in the price where it's discounted, it used to be, as an appraiser, I would find out that what would happen is is that the value was fairly represented, meaning that, that you didn't lose anything. 
if you paid a price for something you thought was fantastic and it turns out to be a bluntly junk, um, the price you paid for it was relative for the junk. So you really had no loss. You just didn't get what you expected. And there are some similar things going on here, but in, in, in many cases it's worse. And it's not better for the jeweler. I shouldn't say it's not better overall for the jeweler. Um, but let's talk about it. You know, We need to find out what reports are. And if you're a, a, a new person out there in the diamond world searching for diamonds, you need to know when we use the term diamonds, or excuse me, when we use the term reports, that's the same thing as using the term certificate. Most laboratories, I should say some laboratories call them certificates. The GIA does not. In the U.S., there, there, are, there are major labs that produce most of the diamond reports. And again, in some cases, they call them certificates. Here, the GIA is the largest. It's also the organization that produces your diamond graders, your diamond, uh, ge- your gemologists, your uh, uh, AJPs, your GGs. These are all gemological and jewelry uh, certifications and or diplomas. It also produces your jewelers out there. They've got full six-month courses, and they've been doing this um, for a very long time. In fact, they started doing reports in the 50s. So they've been doing this for quite some time. Most of the training that happened uh, even pre in the fi- pre 50s, you know, you're going back even a, a decade or two into those ranges. Um, they started using the GIA scale for training jewelers and, and how to better explain the rarity values of the diamonds you were looking at so that you could kind of figure out what price you were paying. Um, And anyways, I mean, reports still weren't popular. Reports, I should say the majority of diamonds sold still didn't have reports Um, after the 50s. I mean, you, 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 they just, we just didn't ask for them. I mean, what, what, and and maybe some of the reasons are um, we didn't know or care that might have been in. I mean, a report contains scientific descriptions of the diamond and it used to be that you know we would pay for something get a receipt and walk out the door i think even in the in the 80s when i was doing a lot of jewelry uh, sales i should say in the late 80s um there really wasn't i mean it was a receipt you know we gave out a receipt and on occasion we would do an appraisal and uh, there would be a description on there but a report contains the scientific descriptions of the identifying characteristics. You know, some of those characteristics are created by man, such as the overall dimensions of the stone. You know, that's when a diamond polisher is uh, putting the diamond to a diamond cutting wheel. And uh, we want to say cutting, but it's more or less polishing and grinding down to get the overall dimensions. Those are mapped out and measured, and you get those dimensions. And then you have the other portions of the characteristics. Um, such as clarity, you know, that's when the diamond formed, um, you know, so the, uh, the, when a diamond formed, it has a specific impurity to it. It has a specific color that it, that it comes out. It also can dictate the, the size of the stone. Um, you know, so how it formed is, is all of those internal characteristics. Some of those can be changed, modified, um, almost everything I just described, even the color can be modified and the, the clarity can be modified because you can remove inclusions and refill them. And I'm going to get off on a completely different subject. 
but you can also uh, heat treat, irradiate, do all sorts of things where you can change the color of the diamond. These things would be detailed on a diamond report. GIA, of course, if we changed the color, would note that we changed the color. GIA wouldn't even grade a stone that um, had a clarity change to it. Even if we took out the inclusion and refilled it back up, they wouldn't, they wouldn't grade a stone like that. They would send it back and, and, uh, and say that they don't do the clarity-enhanced grading on stones. So anyway, we have had reports like this since the 50s. Not too many people in the industry, not too many competitors doing reports validations, verifications, even in the fi- after the 50s through the 60s and even in the 70s. We really didn't start seeing diamond reports until the 80s during the diamond craze. And so when people were buying and investing in stones, they wanted the same thing, the same kind of validation they would find in um, any other sort of investment that they would make. So they wanted to make sure that the investment had a great or or should be based upon those rarity values. So in the 80s, the diamond investment craze started, and all of a sudden we started seeing all these diamonds come out with reports. People were investing in them, and we're not going to talk about that, but the diamond prices, of course, skyrocketed. I mean, D-Flawless was an unattainable price uh, for a one-carat stone. The the pricing levels still haven't come back to those levels. So, you know, a a diamond report was used to verify... um, what it was that you were purchasing. So here's the issue. The trade was booming. Lots of diamonds were selling. Lots of reports were being done. And now competitive labs start opening up to fill the needs of these investment firms and to fill the needs of these individuals. So you all of a sudden have all of these new labs popping up and even know that most people still used the GIA. If you were overseas, you didn't. You used labs like HRD or or someone else. And some of those labs, and in fact, like I mentioned, HRD, th- those are very reputable labs. But some labs opened up that started off as reputable. And of course, when you're dealing with large sums of money, you get this issue of um, un- money sort of pushes people in that direction to where if there's that gray area, it's no longer gray, it's okay. And (laughs) black and white becomes very blurred. Um, There's no distinct line between, between what's right and wrong. It becomes subjective. And that's because the money pushes it in that direction. And these labs sort of flourished during these, uh, these times and stayed with us during these latter, you know, the, the the next few decades. And they're still here. And so the problem is, is that the, the labs themselves have pressure from the diamond cutters. I mean, so we're, we're not talking about, we're, talk, we're going to put ethical labs and unethical labs together. You have diamond cutters who produce diamonds who then submit their reports to labs. And the labs have... Um, the, uh, I should say the labs really want the business. That's how they make money. And they are, um, some of them are nonprofits. Some of them are, are for-profit companies, but they need to make, they, they need to have cash flow coming in. And so when you have specific jobs, specific projects, specific uh, it could be large amounts of stones. It could be thousands of, of stones. And, and lab reports aren't cheap. 
You know, lab reports cost roughly on average $100 to $150 a report. Some are less, some are more. Um, so when you look at the quantity and you look at a, a large diamond dealer and when they submit it to a lab and they say or, or make a statement that pushes the, the diamond grading company in a direction where the diamond grading company earns their business by lowering the clarity and color uh, expectations on a specific grade, the standards, and then they continually earn the business because of that. You know, that's where, where we go in a direction to where we don't want to use those reports. We don't want to, we don't want to buy from those diamond dealers either. I mean, if, if that's the case, therefore, if they have that kind of report, we reject buying their stones. But you see what happens is, is they're sort of pushed in this direction. And now not just pushed in that direction, labs have opened up that just sort of, uh, 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 grab on to this sort of movement, hey, I'll produce a report and you can I'll put anything on it for you. So now you've you've gone from where you have labs that started off that were good that's sort of turned in this direction. You also have labs that opened up that sort of embrace this whole I'll grade it whatever you want. You just pay me to do it and we'll do as many as you want and I'll make all the money doing them. Now the GIA is um is a, a much bigger company, um, you know. So they they take longer on reports. They cost more uh, for reports, um, you know. So I mean, they're they're from the cutter's perspective. The cutter wants to have the diamond graded as fast as possible to get it to market as fast as possible. However, um, that doesn't mean that they should uh, want to get lower grades on it, but that happens and they get the benefit from that. We'll talk about that here in just a second. So, you know, we had a little slowing in the trade after the, the diamond push, but because we saw all of this increase in laboratory reports, there had to be some conversation about standards. Now, most laboratories that compete with the GIA will do direct comparisons of their grading scale against the GIA scale. And, and I want to say this, there are standards. If you use the GIA definitions and guides for assessing specific grades for a characteristic, that is a, there is a standard there. Now, they're not a governmental body. They're just an independent company. Um, they don't direct. There is no oversight from any international body. But most people will use the terminology. You'll see them spread out in little spreadsheets there where they have the comparators and columns. And they'll say, this is a GIA grade for a D, and they'll, they'll use their, their specific characteristic. And they're even using the same verbiage, you know, the same phraseology, the nomenclature. So if it says D for GIA, it says D for Bob's Laboratory. And so you, you, you assume that their D standard is the same. You will have opinions, um, even from GIA, which is why they use multiple graders. That um, to you'll have variations in those opinions on specific grades and color and clarity. Um, but there are standard deviations, right? So if you have um, a G and color diamond, G and color is a specific range of accepted hue and saturation and tone for that that you know. Um, near colorless grade. And the same for faint light yellows. 
you know, whatever grade you have in there, there's this ex- expected or ex- uh, a specific range of expected um, color and clarities, excuse me, color, hue, tone, and saturations for a K-color diamond. So there, there is a grade comparator. There is a master stone or, or a spectrometer that's used to compare you know, against that diamond. And I think maybe in the future we'll talk about the differences between the human eye and the, the spectrometers that actually grade them. Um, but I want to come back that you will have differences of opinion. That's why some laboratories have more than one grader on any one specific stone. So you can break that sort of tie that can happen. Um, there is no international body, entity, ISO, or otherwise um, that guides standards. You know, I said that earlier. Um, they, you know, most companies will make the statement of standard grading, but there is no standard per se uh, nationally and no standard worldwide. Um, we only have companies that state that the individuals um, at, at that company um, will use their own agreed upon uh, guides and phraseology. They just give us the opinion or they give us the um, they they mislead us, I should say, and, and give us the idea that they follow those standards when they themselves um, show us images and graphs that, that put those together. Now, here's the problem. You know, labs are in competition with GIA. You know, GIA is the big dog on the block, and all these other companies are out there wanting, they're for-profit companies wanting to make money. A lab is in competition with GIA, However, the issue would be for them in earning your business and earning the business of the jeweler, if they stated that they followed GIA standards, if they stated that they followed all of those codifications and gradations and they they rigidly used the GIA, um, they then therefore validate the GIA. Why do you want to buy a GIA report? If if you you're going to the third party, or I should say the the competitive lab, it says, well, I'm grading to GIA standards. It doesn't make sense. I want to go to the brand that's recognized. Um, and so these companies, it's not likely to happen that the for profit company is going to um, validate GIA as the expert above them. Right? They're not going to validate GIA above them. They're not going to bind themselves to GIA or GIA standards. There's nobody else bound. There's no guild that they're all part of, and they have to adhere to this or GIA kicks them out. There's none, none of those kinds of things. Um, they must, a lab must invest also in people that have the same skill sets if they're going to try to adhere to the same standards as GIA. So they must invest in people that's expensive that have the same skill sets. They must invest in the same kind of tools for research. And they have to uh, they have to make sure instead of just aligning their systems next to GIA um, using same classifications, they actually need to do it. That's not going to happen. They are in competition with GIA. They're not going to validate GIA. Um, I, and I should say that, that there are labs that are close. There are labs that have differing opinions. There are, and that's okay. Remember, we can have a standard deviation. There are labs that do a really knockout, bang-up job. You, know, you have the AGS. You have 
um, uh, GCAL, which is a much smaller lab. Um, you have EGL USA, which does a very good job. You, you know, there are labs here in the U.S. There are labs overseas um, that do a really good job. But the issue we're talking about is these third-party labs in competition that that are deceiving the public. They are deceiving. I should say mainly the public because the jewelers know that there's a difference. They're deceiving the public, and the only person who's really making the uh, large amount of money is the cutter. So, so again, what's the right thing to do for the vendor? What's the right thing to do for the jeweler? What's the right thing to do for the buyer? So if we talk about the vendor now. So now we know a little bit about the reports and what's going on. Um, you know, for the vendor, it's an expense. For the vendor, it's time. Both of these affect, you know, the overall cost. It also affects the profitability. I mean, obviously, discounts on those reports, we can have a... Uh, um, a thousand reports done from Bob's laboratory, and if there's a Bob's laboratory, I'm sorry, but if Bob's laboratory charges me fifty dollars a report, gives me the grades I want, GIA costs, you know, charges me one hundred and twenty dollars a report. Bob's turnaround time is is a week, and GIA's turnaround time is two weeks. There's a difference in my profitability. There's no discount, you know, for those kinds of. Um, there's no discounts, there's no playing around with the money, there's no playing around with the grades when you deal with a major branded lab. You know, but there is for others. Now, here's what I want to tell you what happens. If we look at, you know, I'm going to take a sip of some tea here for a second. If we look at, um, so the, the vendor, the vendor can make more money on selling a stone. That's the diamond polisher or wholesaler. The vendor can make more money on selling another stone, and I'm going to show you how. They they um, will buy a diamond. And so let's say we're talking about a GSI1 stone, right? And I've got uh, little, little images on my Twitter account that show different grades where I did stones a long time ago, although you're seeing all sorts of things on YouTube now and all over the Internet where they just recently done this. This is not anything new. This has been around for... I've been seeing this for almost 15, 20 years. So <laughs> this isn't new. I'm just excited that it's a conversation right now. Um, if you look at a G- GSI-1 stone that's $5,800 stone, and you look at a third, you know, some competitor report for the same kind of stone, um, the stone is going to be discounted. So let's say I, I look at a GI report, stone is 5800 I look at the competitive laboratory report, from another diamond dealer, the stone is $4,600. So if I'm a jeweler, I sell the GIA stone, I make my profit on the top of it, I sell the the uh, um, other laboratory report for the $4,600 stone, I make my money on it. Either way, I, I make you know money, right? I'm, I'm not doubling my, my costs. I have a specific margin or rate that I need to sell something at, and that's my decided upon price. But usually the profitability overall on top of that comes out about the same. So I'm not making any more, at least no, nothing to speak about. But when I look at the diamond that is a $4,600 stone, and I notice that if I use the grading standards for the GIA, and I use their standards for deviation, and I use their classification, and I use all of their gradation against the stone, I find out that the stone is really a stone that's if I were going to use the GIA comparator for it and look at the market for the GIA stone, it's half the price. So in essence, what I've done is I've paid the, the diamond dealer 
roughly $2,200 more for the stone. So you as a consumer, and myself as a jeweler, now I'm not losing anything because you're paying me for the stone, and then I'm sending off my payment to the diamond dealer, right? So uh, diamond, diamond dealer, diamond cutter, you paid $2,200 too much for this diamond. I mean, that's a, a huge change. Um, it doesn't always happen in such a, in such a large amount. But you can kind of roughly feel it's between thirty and fifty percent you paid out of your pocket. Are you crazy? You're 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 a guy or a gal looking to um, buy something special. You start shopping around from jeweler to jeweler, right? You already know what's what's happening with the jeweler. They they uh, you go into the store and you want a better price and and and. They want to be able to offer you a better price, and you want a better price, and it starts going back and forth. You start going from store to store to store, and you finally end up at the store that says, well, I've got this special stone, and it's got this report on it. Now, it came from overseas. It doesn't have a GIA with it, but it's got, it's got a, 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 an EGL Turkey report with it. And um, it just happens that it just came in, or it's on the way here, and, and it's, it's, you know, 20% less, 25% less than what this other stone is that the, the GIA report is with, would you like to see? And of course, you see it, you see the price, and it's so much less. I mean, that's $1,200 discount, right? It's a $1,200 discount. And you hear that sort of, that number in your head, and you glaze over. You become price blind, right? You, you all of a sudden are excited about seeing it. You know, so, so there's all sorts of psychology that goes into this. So the labs make money when they discount the grading, right? Not, not the cost, but when they, when they lower their standards for grading. The jeweler earns your business. They don't necessarily make more money, but they earn your business. And if they do this enough, they make more money because they could do it in quantities and they steal the business away from an ethical store. So... If you soften your grading as a lab, you make more money. You speed around, turn around time, you make more money. The vendor makes more money because they're not sitting on it. And then the vendor themselves, the diamond polisher themselves, because the grade is discounted, because it has this this uh, uh, lab report that's unethical, and most of the people in the trade sort of understand this, they, they expect a discount on it when it comes with a specific laboratory report. But the discount isn't does not reflect the accurate deviation that's on this stone and you end up as a jeweler and you end up as a uh, consumer buying these third-party sort of funky reports, you end up giving so much more money to the diamond polisher. It's just absolutely crazy. And you're losing that out of your pocket because you don't see the the valuation change and there it's it's not even a small loss it's just a dumb decision just plainly dumb decision so i mean why why does the jeweler do this right you know why does the jeweler do this jewelers you know they're they're able to sell the diamond at the price you want so they earn your business they undercut reputable jewelers they create a fan out of you because you all of a sudden saw bob's jeweler have a stone at $4650 Jan's stone was $5,816. You're a fan of Bob. The sad thing is, is you actually just got taken for another couple of grand. 
and you didn't see it or notice it, or you became blind because of the discount of $1,200. So it's all about money. You need to make sure you protect yourself. So what's the right thing to do um, You know, for a jeweler? I mean, you got to figure out jewelers themselves have, uh, you know, they have sales teams, they have staff, um, they have, uh, I, I should say jewelers themselves. You're, you're not generally dealing with the owner. You're not generally dealing with the CEO of the chain store you're, you're, you're walking into. The jeweler themselves, they and their staff, what their ethics are, are the managers. So they're going to follow the lead of the managers. They're going to follow the lead of their regionals. They're going to follow the lead of the owner. They're going to follow the lead of their 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 district trainers. They're going to follow the lead of of the CEO of the company, the philosophies and all of these kinds of things. And if it's all about just turning a thing, right, because that's what it is, if they turn that thing and they sell it and you keep buying it, they're going to keep doing it. And I say, stop. Take care of yourself. Protect yourself. You're trying to buy something that's going to memorialize your special moment, right? You know, so what's the right thing to do? You need to inform and empower yourself to feel confident about these purchases. You don't want to lose between 30 and 50% more money on this purchase. You should expect to pay a fair price. You should expect that. By the way, that doesn't mean that you don't ask for a better price. You, you can ask for a better price. There's nothing wrong with asking for a discount, especially if, you, if you're paying in a way where they're not losing more money. Um, expect a better price. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You should expect an accurate grade on the stone within the standard deviations. And then very, very, very importantly, you should download the Affidavit of Diamond Buying Agreement on the website. Make sure that they sign it which has protections in there built in for the color and clarity grades on the stone, the different reports that even come with it. And, it, and in that little document, you can have them sign. It has the statement that if you take it to another laboratory and then this diamond comes back as a different grade, they'll replace that for you. Now, that's going to really bum somebody out when, when you buy a stone for $4,600. And you take it, and you have it graded by any lab of your choice, and it comes out that it's really a stone that should be worth $2,420, they're going to need to give you a stone that is reflective of the color and clarity grade that you have on this agreement of 5816 That doesn't mean they're going to give you the cash. But it also does mean that if it comes out and there's a verification or a variance, and it's a verified variance, that they'll reimburse you for the cost of doing that. Now, download that. It's free. You don't have to use it if you don't want to. I just developed it after years and years and years in the trade. And if you use this document, it it it, it in some ways protects you or at least gives you a great amount of leverage, and that's kind of what you want. You know, so so what's the right thing to do for you? You know, I want to know what your input is. How do you feel about these things? How do you, how do you feel about the jeweler, right? The jeweler that uh, promotes and sells and uses these these laboratory reports. Well, why are you continually buying from them? Why aren't you buying with a well-known 
lab that stands for its quality, that stands for its standards, that stands for the 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 deviations, not not going outside of those ranges. Why why do you just jump down to that forty six hundred dollar stone? Because people are doing that, and they do it in mass, and they do it all around the country, and they do it you know in in brick and mortar stores, and they do it in malls, they do it in chains, they do it all over. So there are people who get price blind, and the question is why? What's the right thing for you to do? I would love to hear from you. By the way. You can you can uh, call me at 803-792-1326. You can leave me a message there right through the Google Voice. You can also call me, excuse me, you can also send me a message through SpeakPipe, which works through the microphone attached to your laptop or your cell phone, and you click that little button on the right-hand side of my website, and a little app will pop up, and you'll be able to record right from your computer or right from your tablet, whatever you have. You may also send me a message at Twitter, at D-A-M-J-C-G-R-I-T-Z, and that's at Twitter. You may also email me directly. That's J. Christopher with the at symbol at diamondanswerman.com. I hope you learned a little bit about reports, what not to buy, um, and now you know how and why it's happening. Diamond cutters make way more money. Jewelers earn your business you become a raving fan. You tell your friends this guy has great or gal has great deals. People start going there. It starts um, the, the the ethical jeweler has it starts to struggle because people are buying from this uh, unethical source and think that they're getting a great deal. And I think that's a problem. And I want to know what you think the right thing to do. And again, thank you for listening to my show, Diamond Answer Man Show. My name is Jay Christopher Gertz. I'll look forward to speaking to you next time.